1: Hello, and welcome back to that Chelsea podcast I'm riding solo this week But I made up for it with two brilliant guests for you First we're going to be joined by Rob Prattley Again after his debut last week How are we doing Rob?
2: Yeah, not too bad thank you, yourself?
1: I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad Recovered from yesterday And making his debut on the podcast We've got Jam, also better known on Twitter as Carefree Jam. How are you doing man?
3: Yeah, all good thanks man, all good Glad to be here
1: Yeah, exciting, exciting times. Welcome to Blunders, Baggies and Barnsley, where we're going to take a look back at that that chaotic performance against West Brom yesterday in part one. Answer some of your questions on it before looking back briefly at the 6-0 demolition of Barnsley, right? Just before we start, obviously, we've got Jam on for the first time. Jam, if you don't know, is the media manager for SW6 And Jam, just, you know, if you want to let the listeners know sort of what, I guess what they expect if they follow you on Twitter, but also what, you know, the sort of media type content that SW6 Daily produces at the moment?
3: Yeah, sure thing. Um, With myself, I put out content. I tried to put a bit of a a twist on it, let's say, jam it up. Um, But with SW6 Daily, it's just, uh, it's incredible at the moment. We're going up and up. You know, it's obviously a Chelsea fan page. And my role as the media manager is to, um, Organised schedules for the week, for the month of you know looking at the fixtures and what edits we can get out compilations, just general generally generating content really, um, and uh, I suppose quality checking it too. But, but no, if um, if anyone out there isn't following us already, please do drop SW6 Daily a follow. That'd be great.
1: Nice one, nice one. Well, I mean it's quite sort of hard to find sort of a starting point to uh, go back to the game. Yesterday, I guess I'll start with you, um, Rob. What were your just, I guess, overriding emotions at full time?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I was on our Twitter account yesterday and I got absolutely lambasted uh, for my tweet. But I came out and said, it's not something we should be celebrating. Uh, you don't celebrate a result like that. All credit to West Brom. They did everything they needed to do. They defended well in for most of the game. They took their chances when they came. But... I'm sorry, you can't... I don't see that as a triumphant comeback. I see that as getting ourselves in a stupid position in the first place and not having enough nows. If we'd have won the game, I'd have maybe thought something of a triumph. But, you know, that wasn't a triumphant comeback to me in any way, shape or form. And we shouldn't be... It was two points dropped. Let's be realistic and be brutally honest.
1: Yeah, fair Ooh. enough. Cham, anything you want to add to
3: that? Do you know what? I think... On the whole, Rob's right there. I definitely echo that. But what I would say is um, I think the one positive you can take out of that is we probably wouldn't have come back from that last season. Um, So whilst it's not a great result, whilst we were stupid for being in that position in the first place, the, the small positive is showing the character to come back, you know, in one half of football. I think that's kind of a good thing. Shows us what the players can do, at least in an attacking sense. Um, but yeah, defensively, obviously, before that we were poor. Even attacking, actually, we weren't great. But I think that's the one positive you could take from it.
2: Can I just ask one argument, Jam? You said we wouldn't do it last season. Hmm. We came back from four and down against Ajax last year. And Ajax are a much better side than West Brom, if we're being completely honest.
0: Yeah. And we had a worse then...
2: starting 11 out there that day. Okay, would... Ajax did go down to nine men. But even still, I would argue, you know, even before that, we looked more likely to score against Ajax than we did against West
0: Brom
3: yeah yeah that's a good point I think the nine men thing I mean you highlighted that 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 was obviously quite key to that I don't think we would have come back if it was 11 against 11 let's be honest but um yeah maybe we have shown signs of doing it before um I still think it's all right I, I, I'm not trying to say it's, it's amazing or anything but you know that's a small positive we could pick out from what was almost a disastrous day
1: yeah, yeah, I think it's the first time we've come back from three goals down to get a draw in our history in the Premier League or something like that. So I guess that's one positive to take from it. Uh, team news came in. I think probably, I mean, I can't necessarily be a few guys, but I think most of the fan base was quite happy with that team. On the whole, you know, perhaps just a bit confused as to why Kurt Zuma was left out. But other than that, I think you know we saw Tammy starting, we saw Werner, Havertz and Mountall starting. I think on the whole. The mood was quite happy. Would you agree on that?
3: Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, one thing I would say, though, looking back on it, is um, yeah, Thiago Silva starting, and I'm not saying this out of hindsight, you know, in hindsight, but it just seemed a little bit too soon. Um, I know he obviously played the majority of the game uh, against Barnsley, but
0: mm.
3: you know, maybe that mistake was just a sign of him not being there yet, if you know what I mean. Um, otherwise, I, I didn't mind the lineup.
2: Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree. I mean, I would. I, I was very surprised and having to get the Barnsley, and we weren't punished for it. I think um, the Barnsley striker, whoever it was, took a poor touch, and I think it was Tamori came across and covered it. But Tiago did the exact same thing on Wednesday, and other than that, I thought his performance was pretty good. You know, I thought he didn't really put a foot wrong. But ultimately, you can't be affording at this level to make those kind of stakes now. In the league and with PSG, he might have got away with it because, let's face it, they're so dominant at that level. There's only one or two teams that have really got the attacking quality to hurt them. And, you know, I, I'd rather, again, it reminded me, when you watched PSG last year, when Thiago Silva came and did that on the halfway line, immediately afterwards, you just see Marco Verratti put in a really cynical foul and just pull a guy back and get booked for it. There was no one in our team yesterday was anywhere close to being able to do that. And that's one of the reasons, one of the things I think we really did miss yesterday was an edge of cynicalness. Because at times, you know, some of the fouls from West Brom were utterly, utterly cynical, especially in the second half. Little pullbacks, little tugs just to disrupt play and sort of, you know, throwing themselves to the floor at every opportunity. We're too nice in that regard. We don't have anyone who was willing to. The only player I'd say in the squad who I think has the, like, you know, the petulance to do something like that is Alanto. And that's just because he's slow. Um, and we'll come on to Marcus Alonso I'm sure later on <laughs> But he's the only one I'd say is petulant enough to do that kind of challenge
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree uh, Well, you mentioned Marcus Alonso I guess, you know He was culpable for the first goal um, Heads it back inside into a danger area And we get punishable Ends up getting moved out wide And Robinson shoots across the goal And goes in Obviously, you know a striker who loves playing against Chelsea. His only three Premier League goals have come against Chelsea: one last season for Sheffield United, and two yesterday for West Brom. Um, obviously, you know the big—I guess one of the big used Caballero was in for Kepa, Mendy not given the game. Uh, do we think Caballero could have done better for the first goal? Start with you, Rob.
2: I—I uh, mean, for the first goal, I think there are three people that you really have to fault.
1: Yeah. Firstly,
2: Alonso—it's an re- absolutely ridiculous header, ridiculous decision if he was in doubt of where he was going to try and do it out of play, absolutely just rule one, he headed it back. And then what annoyed me was he didn't make any effort to get back. He just sort of just stood there. He didn't make any effort to get back, any effort to put a challenge in. Pereira shouldn't have been able to shuffle the ball across to Robinson, but that's, you know, that was sort of the lesser one of the issues. Then when it comes to Robinson actually getting it, we know Robinson's going to get it on, one, on that side and take a shot. He was always going to get it on that side and take the shot on. And I'm sorry, Rhys James, I've said this before. I feel he's becoming a bit... too. When he goes forward, he looks brilliant. Defensively, there's still major issues. He should have blocked the effort. If that was Asby at right back, I'm sorry. That shot doesn't come through. Asby stands him up and forces him into not making that effort or stops him having that shot early. Robinson took it early and caught James out, came through his legs. Caballero, I never like seeing any goalkeeper beaten in that style, a cross goal. Now... If there's a better keeper, I have to be honest. I think a better keeper gets down and pushes that away. However, if they had pushed it away, there was a West. I think it was Pereira who got into the box and was going to tap it in because no one had followed him. So, you know, I'm of the opinion that there was huge issues defensively up from it. Could Caballero have done better? Maybe, but the chance came about due to two really poor pieces of play from the fullbacks, and you have to be brutally honest about that. Yeah, yeah fair enough. You
1: down well. I mean. I don't, you know, I think we all know Alonso's limitations as a left back. And I'm actually, you know, have been a fan of him in the past, mainly just because he scores against Spurs and Arsenal quite a bit. But I thought his attitude, I mean, I I think the whole team's attitude in the first half was pretty poor. But I just thought his attitude was just really bad yesterday. I'm not sure what it, you know, what it was. Maybe it's because, you know, Chilwell's here and, you know, there's talks about, is he going to leave? Is he not? But it's just a moment I think after one nil where Furlong gives him a head start, mm. and then a lot, he just sprints past him so easily, and then Alonso just take, like, has to take him out, and it was just, I guess, sort of symptomatic of like what was going wrong, and it remind you know games last year if Chelsea started poorly, you sort of had a feeling where it was going to go. I think back to Sheffield United, we just started back mm. dreadfully, mm. and I just got those same vibes yesterday, as well. Jan, would you agree mm. on? Sort of just sort of the general attitude of the team in the first half.
3: Yeah, um, I think I like what you just said there. Um, you can you almost get a feeling when it's not your day. As a, you know, as a Chelsea fan, you can you can almost tell sometimes when it, it's going to be it's going to be peak. Um, and obviously, an early goal uh, being conceded is obviously going to highlight that. But you could just see things weren't right. I don't know what it was, whether it was the formation. We couldn't really... um, We weren't really creating great chances. Now, I know we missed a couple of sitters, but what I'm saying is it wasn't really coming from our possession. Just things weren't really linking up. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Um, And, yeah, Alonso, I mean, come on. He's the one player that will probably highlight that point the most. You know straight away... When it's not his day, you know immediately it's not Alonso's day. I call him the Spanish Homer Simpson for a reason. This guy can't run. He Honestly, he he runs as fast as Homer Simpson skips. (laughs) That that race was an absolute joke. And to me now, look, I've been a fan of Alonso um, as well. And I think if we have to sell him or Emerson, I, I was actually saying we should keep Alonso over Emerson. But seeing that yesterday is making me change my mind. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is—just generally with Chelsea and complacency and just not being able to hit the ground running. But we just need to shake it up. Um, uh, I don't know what you think, guys. Something's just not right sometimes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I—I'm I, going to be honest. Like, I, I think you made a point about the good chances. Before we even went 2 0 down, and again, let's be honest, that was a you know mistake from Thiago Silva. As good as a player he is, we can't you know sugarcoat it. We can't pretend that that wasn't you know a dreadful, dreadful mistake and basic, basic defending. Um, you know we should have been two-one up because I think it was Abraham. Yeah, James whipped that crossing, and Abraham sort of side-footed it into row Z of the Hawthorns, and then you had Werner's effort where Mount pulled it back and Werner sort of caught it. Okay bit unlucky to hit the top of a crossbar, but still you'd expect a striker of top quality or a player of top quality as Werner is to hit the target from there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the same as... Uh, you, look, you look at that, if we'd have done that and turned it around to being 2-1, suddenly, you know, we're in the ascendancy. You can sort of, you know, you have deflated them because so it's a couple of quick goals. Even if one of them had gone in, I think that second goal doesn't happen because I think that second goal came because we have been too passive. We were sitting back sitting back, passing it around the back too often. And I never like watching any team do that because, you know, all it takes is a slip or a fumble or a mistake or a striker I and mean, a quick bit of thinking, bang, they're in. And, okay, should Caballero have maybe done better with it? It was pretty close to him, but it was such close range. You know, I, if it's a top keeper, like a, with his feet, like a De Gea or someone like that, or a Neuer, where they're so good at coming out or so good at spreading themselves, I think they probably stop that. But, you know, ultimately, Caballero isn't that. And it wasn't his fault. It was tidily tucked away by Robinson. But as soon as you do that and you put yourself in a position where, you know, you're 2-0 down, you're just asking for trouble. And the worst bit was is that both the goals were so self-inflicted. I, don't th- I think that didn't help the team. I think they mentally looked at that because, you know, you look at it and you see your teammates making mistakes like that and, you know, not taking the chance at the other end It does deflate you it deflates us as fans so it definitely deflates the players and then that makes you you know symptomatic for more mistakes and I would argue the third goal was also from personal mistakes I mean James should have stepped up Alonzo should attract his man but all of it you know why on earth that person was it I can't remember who headed it on was it Bartley headed it on no yeah. Jay heading it on on the edge of the box to Bartley why on earth were they stood in a good five yards of space with no yeah. one anywhere near them I don't yeah. understand. We seem to have persisted. For the last couple of games, I thought we did quite well at set pieces and we looked quite confident. But today, uh, yesterday, it seemed to just be a return to the old, you know, zonal marking where we're not actually marking the zones.
1: Yeah, didn't we, from memory, didn't we concede like a goal like that to Arsenal last season at the Emirates? Someone didn't step up and play him off. Like, someone was just slow reacting. We played a Bamyang on or something. I think something like that anyway. Mm. But yeah, it was... It was very poor and all of a sudden we found ourselves 3-0 down after half an hour and <laughs> you sort of go, how, what, what is going on? Because I think beforehand we all thought, no, we'll beat West Brom comfortably and we should have but we get to half-time he makes two changes, he brings on queda uh, for Alonso, I mean that was obvious how Alonso got to half-time to be honest surprises me but at least he took him off at half-time and he took off Mateo Kovacic for Callum hudson Adoy. and to be fair, the changes did make an impact, didn't they, Jam?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been a massive, I'm always a massive advocate of having troublemakers in your team, players that can beat a man. You, you must have it. Look, and I, when I say that, I mean a true winger and we lacked that at the start um, of the game. You know, Timo Werner playing out wide, he can play there, but... Even with his style of play, he'd rather just cut in from the left and beat his man on the outside, unless it's a through ball. Um, What you get with Callum is you get a pure troublemaker, a winger with pace that does want to beat his man quite a lot. They're used to doing that. They generate chances from doing that. Um, And we need to have these kind of players playing on the pitch for Chelsea, you know. Pulisic can't, needs to hurry up and come back. Um, I like I like the look of Cho. I mean, Ziyech, even in his own right, has got his own And I, I think we're really missing that from the width. Um, yeah. And, yeah, well, they came on and made an absolutely huge difference. You know, Cho was just running at his man and making them, you know, getting territory, gaining territory from doing that. And it just creates all kinds of havoc for, for a defence, thinking... Crap, 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 backpedal, 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 you know, even if he's just gained territory, turns back and passes it, made such a big difference. Um, yeah, uh, from that moment onwards, we, we actually looked like we were pretty dangerous, you know, when we, when we got forward, at least when he was on the ball. Um, yeah, uh, just going forward, I, I, w- I want to see wingers, don't know about you guys, but seeing Havertz or Mount out wide, it doesn't really do it for me.
1: Yeah, but actually, we've got a question in on that, so it seems the first time to link in. Uh, I'll I'll give this to you, Jam. Uh, we clearly saw how much better we were after an actual winger came on and played. Should Lampard go with work rate and compromise our team's whip just so Cho can train well and work harder, or should we prioritize actual playing the system with wingers? I could sense the sass from here on that question, but it's a very good point. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, it is a good point. I mean, let, let's look at it like this. I'll give you examples example some good teams that have got wingers, right? Bayern Munich, um, Man City, yeah, <laughs> Sterling. I said that without thinking, but it's true. Um, you know, you've got PSG as well, you'd say them. I mean, these are top tier teams that, that have pace out wide, you know, proper out and out wingers that play there. And yeah, I think Lampard's going to have to question his his style of play. You need more than one troublemaker in a pitch, you know. Um, not just your striker, you need it out wide. Um, and yesterday at the start, we only had Timo Werner that could realistically do that, in my opinion. So Lampard's going to have to have a look at that. Um, but, you know, obviously it doesn't help when you've got Pulisic and Ziyech injured. I don't think it helps, but Cho, has shown, he's probably worth a start.
2: Yeah,
1: no. I completely agree. Look, one of the main things a lot, you know, people talk about as well as good we came back. I was sort of, I mean, you know, we we said at the start we're not happy. You know, you shouldn't really be happy it's two points dropped. But the thing that worried me, despite the changes, was I didn't really see a game plan. I saw, I in my opinion, individual brilliance bailed us out. I'm not sure if you know, I say what you guys agree with, but we look back at it, Mount takes a pop from distance, it's a brilliant strike and it goes in. The second goal's neat interlinking play and then the third goal's a parry from the keeper that we score and to be honest with VAR, I think if VAR had been in a break, like if VAR had been used like it was last year, the goal might even have been disallowed so you know, we sort of gave Frank credit for making changes at half time but do you think we really saw a game plan yesterday or was he just bailed out, really, by individual brilliance? I'll start with you on that, Rob.
2: I mean, I think it's difficult. I, I think that the first two changes, I think, work quite well. However, I thought the third change, when Giroud came on, I thought it was a sort of... Lampard did it to get an extra striker in the box, let's be honest. However, did it really... Did Giroud, and this is not... I like Giroud, I think is a good player. But did Giroud really add anything to the game? No. Did... Did Giroud really affect the game? No. Did did we lose momentum when Giroud came on? Yes. Now, I kind of understand why he made the change, and I can understand going to the back three, but if we were going to do that, I'm going to be, you know, he's not, I'm not his biggest fan, but if we were going to do that, I'd rather see us bring on Ross Barclay, get another pair of legs in the midfield, get another guy on there who can to his credit, can shoot from distance and can be a bit more creative. But more importantly, someone that can, at his best, go round a man. We were having our success with them when we had players going round men, as we've already discussed, with the wingers. And, you know, even in the sort of... Uh, The Mount goal, I think you need it when you're 3 a down, you need a bit of, you know, quality or something to get you back into a game. Up to that point, we were struggling a little bit. You know, they were comfortable. Suddenly that goal, you know, makes it a different situation. Right after we made it 3-2, we had that chance where obviously we had a bit of interplay in the box and Havertz got, I think it was Havertz took a shot, it was deflected. Johnson made a really good save. Then we had the set piece that went just wide. Uh, I think Werner put an effort sort of wide as well. And we started looking like we were gaining a bit of control. Now, uh, you know, we had those situations. And then after that, I think it was, yeah, the hudson all goal happened on the 70th minute. And then it was just a few minutes later. Yeah, just sort of, you know, three minutes later Giroud came on. And after that point, let's be honest, did we really put on a head of steam and a head of pressure on them until the final maybe two, three minutes? No. Did we look comfortable in the shape? No. I thought that, you know, we there was too many players in one area. It felt like a case of just chucking on strikers and hoping one of them was going to score. Um, uh, and, you know, looking at the bench yesterday, obviously, if you look at that and, you know, maybe you can say, okay, well, if there was a pure Citroën there, they could come on and be a genuine game changer. But I feel like Giroud was almost a bit of a panic substitution. Um, in terms of the shape and whether... There's sort of a game plan there. I think there's the idea of a game plan, but there's not a firm game plan. If that makes sense, I think Lampard wants to sort of play a four-two-three-one. I think he wants to have someone in behind the striker, and he wants sort of two roaming players in the wide areas. However, I think more realistically, we should be going for a four. If we're going to be attacking, we should be going for a four-three-three. Three with two roaming playmakers, two proper wide players and a single striker. And if we're defending, having two deeper midfielders, one number 10 and then two wide players. And the fullbacks need to sit back and need to be, if they're going to be fullbacks, they need to be box-to-box fullbacks, not just, you know, bombing forward. Because far too often, yes, they were caught on the transition and caught with, you know, James miles up the pitch. Now, James at least has the speed to sort of get back. Alonso doesn't. And that's why, you know, there was so many spaces. You talked about Darnell Furlong. I mean, Furlong could have had a cigar in his mouth for most of but you know, good 60 minutes of the game because he could just stroll up and down that wing. And Darnell Furlong is not particularly fast. It, you know, he looked quick against Alonso, let's be honest. But as soon as we got some actual pace on out there and some actual quality in Hudson odoi he had absolutely no clue what to do.
1: Yeah, fair enough. As I said, I think. I can't remember who I had this discussion with, but looking at that team, there was just not, I didn't think there was much balance in it because you have the two central midfielders, Kovacic and Kante, who love to get forward. You have two really attacking fullbacks who love to get forward and don't necessarily love to get back as much. We then had Mount, Werner, and Havertz in front of the two midfielders. There wasn't really any balance to that side. And as you say, it's not really surprising we got caught out in the transitions because that team while i see you know it looked quite nice on paper there was just no balance to it and it's not surprising to me that we got caught out at all really and i look i said for me the only positive is we got points from the game because as i said as i said at half time, i was dreading having to record this today because i was thinking god how are we gonna like h- how am i gonna try and find positives from it and the only positive i've really found was we got a point um I'll go to, I guess, you, Jan. You know, is there, I guess, enough from that second half to feel like really positive going in, like, on for the rest of the season? Or is it still pretty worrying that these problems, like, what is still worrying, but problems persist? But, I mean, how do we, you think, sort of try and get that balance in the team, but also, playing the players Lampard wants? Because it seems pretty hard to do, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to admit, I'm a little bit worried about the next few weeks or so because, you know, these realistically are problems that stem from the fact that we haven't had a pre-season. We, we bought Kai Havertz three weeks ago or something. You know, he's hardly been here. So I think a lot of these issues will come from a lack of chemistry uh, and true, you know, fitness um, match fitness even. So I know there are other teams that are struggling with this. You can see Man United, for example. They got very, very, very lucky. Um But in their few games, they've been absolutely processed by whoever they've played. Um, and that, they've got the same problem. You know, it's just players trying to get up, catch up and get up to speed. And we're just going to have to limp through these games, I think. Um, now, obviously, we've got players out injured that are going to come back in, but they're going to have to... Adjust to it, and other players are going to have to adjust to them too. Um, So I'm a bit worried about the next few weeks. Uh, In terms of going forward, um, I think what I did see the you know one other positive maybe is the fact that the the boys from Cobham are still going to step up and are still going to contribute. You know, Uh, Tammy scored, Mason scored, um, Cho scored as well. Um, So we might even have to have a bit more of a reliance on them whilst the new boys. You know, bed in a little bit, um, yeah. But I'd even go as far as to say Kai Havertz hasn't truly impressed me yet. I think he he just needs to 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 sort of catch up to the to Premier League speed I reckon if that makes sense. Um, you know, his, his style of play is quite nonchalant, slow. You know, doing his his thing at his pace, but he's probably not going to work against West Brom away. Do you know what I mean? Um, Timo just needs a goal, then he will explode, in my opinion. Um, I think Chilwell will come in and probably hit the ground running because he's he's used to the league and everything. Uh, Thiago Silva will be fine. Um, and uh, Ziyech, I, I, I think he'll be absolutely fine too. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm just a little bit worried about the next few weeks and I really hope we don't have any big games then. In fact, I think we've got Man United in like three weeks or something. But, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, Rob, this sort of of just came to me. We know Mount is crucial to the way Frank plays, this how his Chelsea team plays. Do you think we can really, you know, we've seen Havertz play, you know, in all three games as well. Do you think we can get the best of both Mason Mount and Kai Havertz both playing in the same team? Because for me, I struggled to see that.
2: I mean, I, I suppose I would say that, on Wednesday's game against Barnsley, you had both of them in the same team, and I thought both of them played very, very well. Obviously, Havertz scored a hat trick, but I thought Mount was one of the without scoring or assisting in that game. I actually you know you just already got one assist, but without scoring in that game, I thought he had one of his um, you know, he was outstanding. I thought both of them played very well. I what I do struggle to see, if I'm honest, I struggle to see a system at the moment where you're going to get the best out of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner at the same time. And that's why they don't both play for German at the same time a lot. Um, You have Harvitz who likes to sit in and drop in and occupy that space in behind the striker in, you know, that that people like calling it the number 10. The German term is space investigator Ramadeuter, Amadeuter for it. Um, And you have Timo Werner, who isn't really a proper, you know, striker as per se. He isn't, you know, a sort of penalty box poacher. He does himself like drifting back and sitting back. And this is why... You had RB Leipzig last year. You had Patrick Schick sort of playing that target man role up front, do work in the line, work in the space, and then opening up the space for a Timo Werner. I think looking at the squad, we get more out of Werner if you played him up front alongside Giroud, and you get more out of Havertz if you play him up alongside Abraham. But I don't think Havertz and Werner at this moment in time are going to work together because I think they like occupying two similar spaces. And this is my only other concern with Zajic and Havertz, is that they both are, like occupying a similar space. Now, on one hand, I suppose there's the, you know, this is a golden sort of bullet, a you know, silver bullet in some ways. On one hand, they could all make up the same sort of space together. On the other hand, if you can get them all clicking, then, you know, defenders aren't going to be able to cope with them. I will personally say, I thought, again, I know you didn't, you missed midweek's game, um, Sort of jam. I know you sort of only caught up on via the highlights, but yeah, I would say I thought Harvard's over yesterday and midweek was probably out of the players that played the ninety minutes across both games. I would say a Abraham who didn't play the full. Uh, did he play the full ninety on Wednesday? Did he get? Nah, no, he got substituted, didn't he? Yeah, uh, Abraham who played the majority of the minutes on Wednesday and played all of yesterday. Mount and Havertz for me, were the three big positives between the two games. Because I think Habits played quite well yesterday. I think, you know, on another day, and uh, this is one of the things that I think frustrated me a little bit about Werner's role, it's about being shoved out wide. When that effort went in early on that Havertz had when we were 1-0 down and that was palmed away by Johnson, if Werner had been 10 yards further up the pitch, that was a tapping. Because it wasn't that well saved, there wasn't any defender there. And if Werner had been in the box on there, then I think, you know, he gobbles that one up. Same with if that was, you know, Abraham in that same area. But we don't seem at the moment to have that sort of enough players gambling. One thing we did have against Barnes, he was players gambling, gambling on mistakes, gambling on errors. That seemed to all go against West Brom. And we made it easy in that regard for them because, you know, they were never going to try and play out from the back. They were never going to try and, you know, they were always going to try and play it long and use, you know, Robinson's presence up front, but we didn't ever really stop them doing that. We, you know, we allowed them to do that. We didn't really pressure them into mistakes enough, in my opinion, and we made it easy for them. And apart from, as you've said, a moment of brilliance, one really well worked goal, and late on just throwing everything at it and getting a bit lucky from a keeper, you know, palming it into Abraham's path. We never really had that period of dominance where I thought, wow, you know, they're on the ropes here. Apart yeah. from maybe after the second goal, and then we bizarrely changed system and it killed everything.
1: Yeah, fair enough. So, Car, you do think Mason Mount and Kai Havertz could work quite well in the same team, yeah?
2: I think Mount and Havertz can work well, but I don't necessarily think you can, at the moment, you can put, say, Werner, Havertz, Abraham, uh, Zayec, Pulisic Mount all together in the same team. There's going to have to be, you know, rotation and yeah. someone's going to have to miss out.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Some great points uh, you guys both raised there. I guess I'll just move on to uh, some more of the Twitter questions. I'll give this one to you, Jam. How should Cho be used when Ziyech and Pulisic are back?
3: Yeah, good question. And it kind of um, goes off of what Rob was saying um, about rotation. Don't forget this is a season that's um, that's been compressed a little bit. We're going to have a lot of midweek games and then games on the weekend. And we're going to have to have fresh quality in both games. Um, so, Cho, why I've been a little bit disappointed um, with with him recently, at least how, how much he's played, is because this is a good time for him to play and show what he can do and get his confidence to a level where when he does play in the future, he'll be able to hit the ground running and just go, rather than carry the burden of, oh, Cho's coming on, what could he even do? We'll, we'll kind of know what he can do if he can carry this on whilst the other two are injured. Um, He might not necessarily be in our first team at the moment, you know, when everyone's back fit, but he could certainly make an impact off the bench, as you saw yesterday. Um, And he could certainly carry us in cup games, I think, um, as one of our more dangerous players and, you know, certainly be used as a rotational player. Um, And I reckon these first few weeks of the season where he hasn't really played much or, you know, longer than 10 minutes here and there, would get him to get his head down and really push and really compete for a place, you know. Um Pulisic is going to come back and he's not going to be fit, you know, it's going to, it would have been a few weeks since he's been out, you know, if not months. Um, Ziyech as well, he'll probably take less time to get back to it. So Cho's got some game time in the next few weeks coming up. Um Yeah, I, that's how I think he'll play anyway. He'll be rotated, definitely come off the bench.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I'll give this question to you, Rob. Keen to hear how you would apportion the blame between the managers and players for that performance in terms of, example, is it 50% the manager, 50% the team? What would you, sort of, who would you apportion the blame to for that yesterday?
2: I mean, in terms of percentages, it's going to be very, very difficult because, you know, it's hard to be. Individually, like, Individually, there are players that are 100% culpable for that result, or the fact we went 3-0 down. I would say Alonso, about 90% culpable for it, because he was probably involved in... He was certainly involved in two of the goals. The first one, as we already said, gave the ball away. Second one, not involved with that one. Third one, why on earth is he losing his man? Um, In terms of the manager, it's... It's difficult, because I I... Thought Lampard was naive putting Alonso at left back, um, was proved to be right. I was wondering why I, was I didn't play. To be honest, I wonder why Emerson didn't play, as I thought he did it right against Barnsley. But ultimately, if he's you know if he's fit enough to start on Wednesday on Tuesday, sorry, there should be real questions as to why Chilwell didn't play, um, because he looked perfectly fine against Barnsley, and even if he could have you know got 60 minutes under the tank, that would have been a good situation. Um, I don't really like to apportion. Blame too much Because ultimately it's not You know, a manager Can't lose a game by themselves And a the players also can't lose a game by themselves It's a sort of thing that works in tandem But I will say I thought Lampard's tactics were wrong In Certainly in the first half I think we were too passive We didn't move the ball about quick enough Partly due to the selection We got caught too much on the transition Um, I don't think we were getting the most out of certain players. In the second half, you know, let's face it, As per on for Alonso was not a difficult change to make. That was not really a tough one. Hudson-Odoi coming on and moving Mount inside. I mean, I think that was a a sensible move, certainly at the start. It paid dividends because it got Mount more into the game. And he was looking like one of the few people who could actually offer something. And it also... um, freed up Hudson-Odoi I think we played well but at the same time then I suppose you have to look at Lampard and say well if you did those changes why did you then feel the need to sort of throw Giroud on because that totally disrupted everything so in terms of portioning blame I'd say it's 30% to Alonso uh, 15% to Thiago Silva 15% to Rhys James and the rest on Frank Lampard and that made me the majority on Frank Lampard I haven't done the maths in my head but
1: no, you've got uh, you know, I, for Frank, yeah.
2: Yeah, um, fair enough. I mean, I you know I'm going to be honest here, and this is I you know a lot of people talking about. Lampard is a legendary player for this club and will never not be a legendary player for this club. But there is an importance to understand that because he's a legendary player it does not make him immune to criticism. It does not make him you know look at it. Arsene Wenger at Arsenal towards the end of his reign couldn't catch a break. This is a man that you know they should worship for the fact he won, you know, won the Premier League title numerous times, went invincible, that no one's ever done again. Look at the amount of criticism he was getting towards the end of his reign. Now, do I agree with all of that criticism? Not necessarily. But if, that, if they can, you know, criticise someone like that that's done so much for them, we sure as downhill should be getting a backbone and being able to criticise Lampard. And for people that are saying, well, why didn't Sari get the same treatment? Why didn't Conte get the same, you know, free pass? I have to be honest and say I don't know. Because you have, there's an element of, you know, being constructive and being able to criticize, but it's just pointless if someone's coming out and just saying Lampard out and you know, death to Lampard and death to man, it's pointless. But if you're constructively criticizing, people need to no longer be afraid of you know, actually coming out and saying a word or two against Lampard as long as it's constructive.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Um, Jam, let's say one thing that shot me no Kurzuma uh, but <laughs> thought, thoughts this quite I find that hard to explain that, and I have to say I was stunned he didn't play, and I think Frank's made a big big error there
3: yeah i'm I'm not really too sure what happened there um it's just a mystery <laughs> I can't really say much more than that i mean has anything come out has, has anyone said why he didn't play i don't think so no well yeah that, that's that's quite odd i mean First of all, what surprised me was Christensen playing. In the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, he's, he's banned. I didn't think he was in yeah. the picture. I saw him there and I was thinking, what? <laughs> but at least he had a good game. It's good for him. I mean, um, I still think he has a bit of a part to play, um, despite his mistake against Liverpool and his occasional brain farts. Um, yeah, maybe Tomori could have played. That that was, again, surprising. Um, but no Zuma, very odd. Never would have imagined that. I I don't really... I have much more to say than that that was it's very strange
1: yeah yeah fair enough look if anyone who's like listening to the pod first time I'm like one of the most positive pro like Frank Lampard people here I can't really think of anything better but last night was very hard for me to to try and sort of defend him really for any of that yesterday even the comeback uh, the final question I'll give it to both of you it's a tough one because I mean we've probably been asking this question for the last season as well what would you do to fix this defence and stop these errors from happening? I'll okay, go start with you, Rob.
2: For starters, um, and I guess is going to be people sounding like I, uh, like I'm being unfair, but get rid of get rid of Alonso from lineups where we start the back four. He does not work in a back four. We've learned this already. This has been, you know, this is not new knowledge. Um. Next point, have a settled back to whatever your center about pairing is. The best Chelsea sides in history have had a settled back to. You yeah. know, Terry and Carvalho in 2005, 2005. Terry and Alex in 2010. Um, 2000, you know, Gary Cahill and John Terry later on. And then even Conte's back three. You knew what you were going to get. You could roll. You could practically roll the defence off. Off by heart, how often have we been able to do that in the last year and a half?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was another new centre back pairing yesterday, so
2: exactly that. And looking at that new centre back pairing, I looked at that at the beginning of the game and thought, and this was just me, I looked at that and thought, there's not much pace in that back four there apart from Reese James, yeah. And you know, it's going to be dangerous on the transition. Sure enough, we can see it on the transition, but. So, take Alonso out, sort out the centre-back pairing, and also tell Rhys James to stop. If he's going to bomb forward, he's got to show his defensive mouse as well, or there's got to be someone in there covering. Whether that's Kante, whether that's a new defensive midfielder, someone's got to be in there covering, because far too often space has been left behind Reese James, and he hasn't, you know... We haven't been punished for it a lot so far this season, but sure as hell it will come. Um... It happened in the, uh, it happened in the um, FA Cup final with the first goal, with James being caught too far at the pitch and Aubameyang getting in that space in mind and has be having to take him out. Um, final point, whoever's going to be the goalkeeper, get them in settled and get them shouting and talking. Whether it's Caballero, whether it's going to be Kappa, whether it's going to be Edouard Mendy, who I suspect it probably is in the longer term going to be, they need to be communicative, they need to be talking, they need to be dominant. The best Chelsea sides have had a dominant keeper, and until we sort that out, those four fundamental things will keep conceding.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Jam, anything you want to add to that?
3: I um, I agree with everything Rob said there. Actually, um, what I I'll approach you from a different angle. Um, what happens is now Chelsea have still got that stigma that they're easy to score against, and teams are... Happy to be quite direct against us because they know, you know, sometimes it's a cir- delay at the back, um, literally just a circus everywhere. So we we almost need to to get to a point where we get like maybe three or four clean sheets in a row to get rid of that stigma to to have teams going, oh, actually, this is going to be a bit of a tough ask today. Not only are we going to have to defend against a serious Chelsea attack, but even when we attack, we're, we're going to have to be really creative, you know, like have them second guessing themselves as well, rather than having that clear, let's go and get a set piece because we know what's going to happen there. Um, mm. Let's target Alonso because we know what's going to happen there. You know, um, we, we need to, to get a bit of stability going. Um, we need to build up a bit of a reputation and then teams fear you. When Liverpool were absolutely smashing it, it's, I think half the time, teams didn't even bother attacking them because they were just worried about just constantly defending. And they'd gone, oh, well, we're not going to score anyway. <laughs> so it almost becomes easier to defend if you're Liverpool in that sense. Do you get what I mean? It's like a multiplier effect. Um, so, yeah, we, we need to, to really get our own confidence going. We need to have t- teams fearing Thiago Silva, for example, fearing the fact that now we've got Chilwell at left back, a better defender, Fearing Rhys James because he's hopefully improving, you know, and fearing whoever Thiago Silva's um, centre-back with um, and our new goalkeeper. um, You know, if he can string together three clean sheets in a row, he's got a reputation, you know, ahead of him already. And teams are going to be thinking, oh, I'm not going to shoot from here because I don't know if that's going to go in. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, from that angle, I tried to approach it from a different angle. I, I think we just needed, you know, a run of... A few games where we're just getting a shutout, and you know, then we'll get some more respect. It'll be easier going forward.
1: Yeah, fair enough. One final stat to fright you both: in 21 away games as Chelsea, in Premier League, we have kept uh, Frank Lampard's team has kept one clean sheet and has conceded 42 goals. You do the math, That's an average of conceding two goals a game when we're away from home. That's not good enough. And we are, unless it improves, we are going to seriously, seriously struggle to challenge for a league title. that a lot of people think that we are capable of. Well, that wraps up this episode of that Chelsea podcast. A chaotic match against West Brom. I think, you know, in the end, it's a good thing we recorded it. a day after, I think, probably a lot of us are a lot more cool and calmed down after after yesterday and uh, an exciting weekend with Spurs in the League Cup before Crystal Palace at home in the international break. Uh, (laughs) We don't know what's going to happen, do we? No. Um, Right, I want to say thank you to Jam for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Um, Before we go, just drop your Twitter handle. If people aren't following you, so they should.
3: Uh, thanks for having me. It's been great fun. Um, hopefully, there'll be more in the future. Um, my Twitter handle is carefree__jam.
1: Yeah, you guys should check him out. One of the first accounts we interacted with on Twitter, a really supportive guy, and he's got a great, gets his humour across really well in his videos. And it's sort of, a perhaps at times, a more light-hearted approach looking at, at Chelsea, which <laughs> at times is probably the best way to go about it. Jam keeps now. me sane, mate. Keeps me sane. Okay. You do what you've <laughs> got to do. Jam now leaves us and then you'll hear from Rob as we look back in part two of a win against Barnsley. See you then. Okay. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. Rob's still with us and we're going to look back at Chelsea 6-0 demolition of Barnsley and what was a memorable night for a certain Mr. Kai Havert. Rob, team news came in. We were all excited that a certain Mr. Tiago Silva started. We were excited that Tamori was the one partnering him, and uh, it was, on the whole, a pretty positive night.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you I, I wouldn't say it was routine because I think that's unfair to Barnsley. I think you know, give them—let's give them credit where credit is due. Struber has is an attacking manager. He has attacking principles, and he came. And I think in the first half, they probably attacked more than I've seen ninety percent of clubs attack at Stamford Bridge in the last year. Um, I thought they were they, they played quite well in the attacking possession. They've obviously got some very talented players there. I before the game in one of my previews picked up Corley Woodrow, and you know he nearly made us pay um, with Caballero making a really good save. But ultimately, once we got the first goal, it felt like you know we were a lot more comfortable. So, and the goals started. To fly. I think it relaxed everyone really. But as you sort of mentioned again, Tiago Silva, a couple of sort of shaky moments early on but generally quite solid. I thought the defence overall looked quite, uh, looked quite positive. I'm not going to say good, because I think the number of shots on Caviero's goal, you know, against better sides would be punished for that. But I think they looked um, sort of, you know, decent going forward. I thought eight, uh, Emerson had a solid game. I thought Azpilicueta was his usual solid self, a couple of really key blocks. Uh, moving further up the pitch, you know, I have an opinion on Ross Barkley, that sort of I think he at times needs to be more consistent. I thought overall he played quite well. On sort of Wednesday night, um, alongside him you had uh, Kovacic in the midfield. He put in his usual sort of industrious shift, and then sort of again Kai Harvitz, who obviously was the star of the show that night. I mean, um, I think Kai is going to be at his best when you set him in that sort of role in behind the striker. It's sort of where he used to do his best work for Bayer Leverkusen. There was a reason why Leverkusen never really had a top, top centre forward up front. They had Volland up there who put a shift in, contributed double figures in goals, got similar numbers of assists, but wasn't really, you know, a 20, 30 goal season striker. And that's because he was able to shoulder the burden with Havertz. And a lot of, you know, he did a lot of the dirty work, Volland with the running in behind and making the space so Havertz could come through. And you saw something quite similar, I think the other day with Tammy Abraham. Um, I thought Abraham had one of his one of his best games for Chelsea, if I'm honest. I thought overall his movement was really sharp. Obviously, grabbed the opening goal, pouncing on a mistake. It's the sort of goal we didn't actually see Tammy do a lot last year because I think his, I think his uh, sharpness was really there, and I don't think we were so sure that as much last year. But sort of really good awareness for the second goal with a little dummy, and I think that just completely sold the defender. Um, obviously, Kai Havertz's second goal, a little back hit, flick. I think he was trying to play it back more into his path, and he actually missed hit it slightly. But I think that actually, you know, helped a little bit because it set it up really nicely for Habits, sort of, was to scoop it into the corner. Um, and then obviously a really nice pass around the corner for Havertz's uh, third goal. And initially when I was watching that live, I thought it was probably offside. But again, there's no VAR in the competition. And looking back on it, he was probably just in line. I don't think you ever get that amount of space against any Premier League defence, for honest. And I think it was more due to the fact that Barnsley were tiring and, you know, when you sort of go two, three, four nil down in a cup game and you know you're not coming back, it's harder to motivate yourself. But overall, you know, like overall it was a good victory. We didn't really learn a lot, I think, about the squad um, because I think, you know, most of the... We, we all watched this last year. I think Thrash Grimsby 7-1 in the same stage. And, uh, yeah, it's now more looking onto Spurs.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. It was, you know, while at times, you know, sort of living living on the edge at times defensively, it was quite nice sort of just to see that free flowing football, which we, you know, we'd not really seen in the first two Premier League games anyway. And um, yeah, obviously we also saw the debut of Ben Chilwell coming off the bench for the last little bit of a game. He put in a nice ball for Giroud to score. It's nice for Giroud to come on and make an impact as well. You still, you know, feel he's going to have a decent part to play Mm. This season. So, you know, while we, well, of course, at times it wasn't, you know, it's far from a perfect performance. And I think, you know, when you play a midfield of Kovacic, Barkley, uh, who was the other one? Mount, Yeah. Harvest, yeah. Harvest even. Yeah. Sorry. You're going to have, you know, it's going to be open because all those players like to get forward and don't mm. necessarily like to defend as much. So I do think, yeah, that was. Partly why we were open, but as Fed Chilwell comes on and he puts a lovely cross in for Giroud to, to head home to make it six. And that sort of completed what was almost a perfect evening. I think, you know, it had been Mount worked hard, was unlucky not to score. And mm. then again for Callum, it sort of just wasn't quite his night. It almost seemed like he was trying too hard at times.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with hudson and think uh, I think, as West Brom showed, I think A, Callum does his best work on the left. I think he's much better cutting inside because he's got, he is quite two-footed, but he does genuinely have a very, like, very nice, sweet right foot. And a lot of his best work for England's youth sides, a lot of his best work when he he made his England debut came cutting in off that left because, you know, you saw that lovely bit of interplay with Harvitz, into his feet, a little one-two and sort of back. We didn't have the players last year. I'm sort of going to be honest, the only player in the squad last year who I think would have played that similar pass, that similar one-two would have been, Giroud I think if it was Abraham I think he would have turned and had a shot which is fair enough a striker I think if it had been a one-two with Willian I think either he would have turned and dribbled into traffic or alternatively sort of turned and had a shot uh, I think it was Pulisic I think he probably turns and tries to have a run and have a shot himself uh, this year I think we've got people like Harvitz and also with Zaych as well who can play those little intricate one-twos and I think that's only going to benefit the wingers if they can get running in sort of in and around now The other day, I I do feel, you know, if Hudson-Odoi, if we're saying, you know, that chance a minute in, if he maybe takes that and dinks that over Jamie Cumming, I think that helps his confidence an awful lot more. I think you saw against West Brom, he is a confidence player, Hudson-Odoi, I think it's fair to say that. And he looked so much sharper and so much more confident, the same against Bayern Munich um, in the uh, Champions League last year. He looked so much more confident after he put that goal in, even though it was disallowed. He looked so much more confident against West Brom taking players on. You know, up to that point, Darnell Furlong had a relatively easy evening because Werner was, I think Werner was caught in two minds. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll cover that later. But uh, the, Werner was caught in two minds as to whether to go wide or cut inside. And that made it quite easy. When he had Hudson to at him, every time, you know, could go on the outside, could go through the middle and has that genuine dribbling ability, which I don't think many other players in the squad have. And that frightens defenders because you know, and especially nowadays with VAR, one wrong you know, swipe in the box, even if it's the lightest bit of contact, you know it's going to VAR, and you know, especially if your name is Manchester United, you know you're getting a penalty. Um, but yeah, I think Hudson-Odoi, he's one of those players where, obviously, there's an awful, awful lot of talent there. I have an awful lot of time for him in terms of reaching that potential, and I think at times, perhaps fans need to, not necessarily... Trust Lampard's process with it. But remember that he is coming back from, you know, a horrible, horrible injury as a young player. And he is still, what, 20 himself? You know, he's still a young Premier League player. It's not as if he's sort of, like we talked about Loftus-Cheek last week, where he's sort of, you know, 23 and it's now a sort of make-or-break discussion. There's plenty of time sort of on his side at this moment in time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as you still mentioned, West Brom, he was very, very good yeah, it was a positive all round display. Uh, next up in the League Cup is Spurs. They obviously went through courtesy of a bye against Leighton Orient due to uh, Leighton Orient players testing positive for coronavirus. I'm just going to uh, include sort of Tottenham, have a little Tottenham preview in here. Tottenham obviously have got, you know, arguably bigger priorities. They've got a big Europa League qualifier on Thursday that determines whether they get into the group stage. That's two days after they play us in the League Cup do you think we'll see a heavily, heavily rotated Spurs side for the League Cup or will Jose also be thinking after losing twice to Frank last season I'm desperate to get one over him?
2: I mean, I'll start off by saying I don't, think any, I don't think there's any game Jose Mourinho goes into where he thinks I don't want to win this. I think, you know, let's give respect and credit to the man. He did an awful lot for Chelsea FC. He won an awful lot of trophies for Chelsea FC. So I think it's important that we, you know, get that out of the way first and foremost. Um, ultimately, I think... His priorities will be elsewhere. At the moment in time, Spurs have got an incredibly, incredibly packed schedule. Of course, I think they're playing today. They're playing on Tuesday against us. They're then playing on Thursday. I think they then play again next Saturday or Sunday. Now, Jose is, you know, well aware that he would like to win a trophy for Tottenham. And I think he will probably look at the League Cup and say, it's the, an option to win it. But you look at it at this moment in time, there's still Chelsea still in it. There's still City still in it. There's still United still in it. One of Liverpool or Arsenal are going out, to be fair. And, you know, you've lost the likes of people like Leicester, for instance, who have gone. But I think Jose will look at this one and will say, it's more important to win on Thursday than it is to win on Tuesday. Does that mean he'll rotate? I'm not 100% sure. I think there will be, I think you'll see some of the big names in there. Obviously, Spurs ends up with quite a, large, quite a large squad at this moment in time. I think Jose has it to it himself. Obviously, you know, Dele Alli looks like he might be on his way out of the club. Uh, they've already, you know, made noises about trying to move on. People like Sergio Aurier. Um, they've brought in Sergio Reguillon and uh, Gareth Bale, obviously back on loan to sort of great fanfare. There's talk of a striker still coming in. They've got Matt Doherty, uh, Pierre-Emi Hoyberg. So there is depth in there, but... I do wonder if Jose will look at it and will say, you know, it almost gives him the perfect excuse if he does lose it. He's sort of in a no-win. You know, if they win it on Tuesday, he can come out and sort of say, oh, you know, look at me prioritising everything I want to fight on all front. But if they do lose it, they can then come out and just say, well, you know, it's the League Cup, the more important thing is European football. Um, personally, I think from a Chelsea perspective, we'll see a few changes again. Um, I, for one, if he was, you know, as long as he's fully fit, I would like to see Chilwell starting. I'd like to see Tamar and Zuma both play. Um, Right back, I think you give the nod to Azpilicueta just for the experience. In the midfield, I think you have to probably go with um, Kante, Kovacic and Barkley. Maybe you put Mount in for Kovacic if you want to play sort of with that more sort of advanced role. Um, And then I think as the front three, if... It's difficult because I kind of almost feel like you want, to get, you want to give Giroud a nod for this game. For the big game experience, he scored against Spurs before. He's got that presence up front that's going to you know, worry the likes of... He's got the physical presence to match the likes of your Davinson, Sanchez and Toby Oliverald. Um, on the wing, I think Hudson-Odoi should start, probably on the left. And then that leaves you with a difficult right wing position. Because I don't think you start Harvard's on the right wing. Maybe you play Mount on the right wing and put Harvets in behind a 10, like sort of uh, as we saw a little bit the other day. But obviously if there's a suggestion Zayac might be back to full fitness, then maybe you play Zayic on the right. What I would say, I'd say is really, really important to me in midweek is that if we did get to a point where we had, you know, relative comfort, i.e. a couple of goals ahead, I'd like to see us bring on Werner. I'd like to see us go two up top and I'd like to see us try and get Werner a goal. Because I feel that's one of the big. Werner has always been a bit of a streaky striker. Um, And uh, last year you saw it at RB Leipzig. He started the season, I think, with five in three. Then he went six games and scored one. Then he scored 14 in nine. And then he went another, you know, six games and scored one. Um, He is quite a streaky striker. He does score in patches. That's Werner's next step is to try and be that bit more consistent. And You know, I suppose the other way you almost look at it as a Chelsea fan, you say, you know, you look at three games and say, oh, you know, he hasn't scored yet. On the other hand, you could say he's won two penalties and hit the crossbar. And on another day, that's, you know, coming into it with three from three. On, you know, as well as that, we've also seen strikers start well at Chelsea. I'm thinking of, you know, a certain tall black-haired Spaniard who started very, very well. And everyone was proclaiming him to be, you know, the next coming of Fernando Torres. And ultimately, you know, that start was a complete false sort of entity. i worried about Werner at the time but I would say if you can get him a goal in a game like that and especially against someone like Spurs it's nice.
1: I guess the final question I'll ask Matt who would you have in goal for that? <laughs>
2: um, I mean I, I think I, I think if he's fit you possibly give the nod to Edouard Mendy to get him a chance to start. If he's not fully fit, I think you probably go with Caballero again because I don't, I looked at the stats. I, you know, I think Caballero could have done better with the first goal against West Brom because I I don't like ever seeing any goal get beaten across the goal like that. As good as the finish as it is, but, you know, we've already covered that. Um, the second goal, absolute. You know, quite close range. Could he have done better? If that's you know maybe a De Gea, I think De Gea would have saved that with his feet because he's incredibly good with his feet. But I'm letting to let him off that third one. Just left completely exposed. I don't necessarily think Caballero had a bad game. I don't think he had much to do. I thought he played quite well against Barnes, as I've said, made a number of good stops, and that's probably, you know, warrants the decision. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't think, you know, I think it would be harsh to take, if Caballero well, Mendy isn't fit, I think it would be harsh to take Caballero out to put Kepa in purely to give him game time. And I also think it will help Kepa to have a bit of a break because at the moment, like, I, I'm actually kind of glad at this moment in time there aren't fans in the stadiums. Because I can only imagine the amount of abuse Paul Keppel would have got after the Liverpool game. And, you know, I want to make a point here on mental health is that I've seen a lot of people, you know, making comments about players online. It's fine to have an opinion. And I appreciate we all get frustrated. But when you're wishing death threats on players, when you're making obscene comments about players' families, just think for a second think what it'd be like if you went to work and you got something wrong at work or at school or at uni. And immediately you had someone telling you to go die. Just think on that because you know it's not right and it's not fair. And I think it's important to address it.
1: Yeah, and I'd add even like messaging players' parents, like telling them, you know, to like I mean, give up that, yeah. and leave Chelsea. That like that just astounded me on Mason Mount. Sorry, and I've got to do this. What astounded me on that is as well is when you look at Mason and he was literally told by his like parents were like, Are you sure Chelsea's the right club for you? Not many players make it. And he was determined to make it and he has made it he's a regular first team player and people are still like saying leave go it just baffles me how you cannot support one of your own
2: yeah i mean i could have a there's a whole you know other discussion on this i think it's a whole other you know topic but i i will always respect any player as long as they pull on the shirt and they give 100% at the same time i recognise not every player is going to be able to be perfect every single game I'm not going to deny I wasn't frustrated after that first half of the West Brom game. I'm not going to deny, you know, there was some obscenity said. But at the same time, there's absolutely if you, you know, if you wake up and you think, you know what I really need to do today is abuse a player on social media or message a player's family on social media or target a wife or a girlfriend, just please, please, please go get help. I'm going to be that completely honest because it's utterly, utterly pointless, especially for someone like Mount who you know, okay, people may not like the fact Mason Mount is playing ahead of other players. That's Lampard's decision. You can gripe about it. You can moan about it as much as you like. It's not going to change it. Whether you like it or not, Mason Mount is a big part of what Chelsea have done over the last year and a bit. He's going to continue to be that. He's becoming a big part for England as well. What I don't understand is that there's all of this criticism of Mount from our own fans. Yet, and I'm going to be honest here, I think we're awful. Compared to other fan bases, you look at the way United fans treat Mason Greenwood. as you know, I've heard him described as being a potential Ballon d'Or winner. I mean, that's another debate in itself. You look at the way Arsenal fans treat people like Bakayo Saka and Eddie Nketiah. Look at the amount of positivity you see on tweets about them, you see on messages about them. Now compare it to the way our fan base at times treats Hudson-Odoi and Mount. And I'm going to be honest, it's completely, utterly disgraceful. And I you know, I'm not gonna name any names because it's not right to do it, but serious people, people need to take a serious thing and just okay, you may not like certain content creators that like Mason Mount. You may not, you know, agree with them. That's fine. But if you're really thinking that you need to go out of your way to abuse a player or to criticize a player or to, you know, go viral for some stupid tweet, then seriously get help.
1: Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, that wraps up the West Brom and Barnsley review. Thanks again for joining us, Rob. And uh, until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying on.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.